The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Welcome to this, the Roto World Football Podcast. My name is Josh Norris, here with these lovely gentlemen. We're all back together again. The family is back together. The people have waited. Ian Harditz, John Daigle. Daigle, how are you? Well, you and I saw each other we just did. a few days ago. We did. For the wrap-up pod that people can listen to. But it's a new year. They should listen to that. They should. Great feedback on this very popular podcast. I didn't mean to be so mean to Max Crosby. I apologize. I'm glad you already started the episode <laughs> in My redemption direction. tour, yes. Uh, but yeah, we talked through all of the 20 non-playoff teams, gave good, one good, one bad, the yin and the yang, because, you know, we want to be balanced here. This is a very balanced mm-hmm. show. Ian, how was your new year? How was your holiday? It was fun, Josh, and relaxing, but now I got the energy recharged, Good, and it's playoff football time, man. Let's it go. is. Let's probably not waste any time. We're going to go deep in each of these four games. Let's start off in the order. Why not do it that way? That makes sense, in the order that they're going to be on mm-hmm. your television screens. Let's start off with the Buffalo Bills at the Houston Texans. Um, Texans are two-and-a-half-point favorites in this game. It's a 42-and-a-half total. Obviously, I believe this is the four and the five seeds. Um, these two teams, I found this interesting, Daigle, have the lowest point differential among all AFC playoff teams. The Texans are minus seven for the season, and the Bills are plus 55 for the year. How do you feel like this game is going to play out? And the Texans have the worst DVOA of all of the playoff teams, and that's why I am concerned extremely, Mm. especially if they don't get Will Fuller on the field. As we know, this offense, Ian and I have talked about this off the off the show, this offense breaks without Will Fuller. Uh, Deshaun Watson, seven yards per attempt and a 7.4 A dot when Fuller has been off the field this week. It looks like Levi Wallace, who was a true shutdown corner in his last six weeks before injury. What are you shaking your head about Levi Wallace? For? No, no, no. I just love when Southern Daigle emerges. <laughs> when when you just have these random words and names. Levi? And it brings me back home. I mean, I'm not from Texas, but it's Levi Wallace. Well, Levi Wallace. Well, Levi Wallace, let me tell you something about him because 13 catches on 23 targets the last six weeks, a true shutdown corner with two picks, and now he's going to be back most likely with Will Fuller. Who knows what's going to happen there? Uh, really quickly, remember, Will Fuller was practiced in full for two weeks right. and then played against the Colts in a must-win game. Hmm. But he was limited before his Week 16 contest and then came off because he was limited in practice. So, Ian... When Will Fuller plays in the nine full games he did this year, in those games the Texans were 7-2. and two. They averaged 26 points, 380 yards of offense. Games he missed or left early, they averaged just under 22 points, 344 yards of offense. Is it as simple as if he plays, the Texans have a chance? If he doesn't, they have zero chance? I wouldn't say zero chance as long as you know they got the better quarterback under center, I think. But no, it's and this not those splits are not just this year. Like We've seen the same exact thing play out the last two years when Fuller 
has been out. And we were talking about this on our building block show. Like Deshaun Watson's efficiency obviously drops a lot. His touchdown raise yards per attempt without Fuller. But even DeAndre Hopkins scores fewer fantasy points per game when Fuller is out of the lineup versus in. He gets way more targets when he's out. They force feed him the ball. But just in terms of PPR, he's not as efficient. He doesn't get the same touchdowns. He's not the same ceiling on the offense. I absolutely love the Bills, like even the money line to me, because I think all right, Deshaun Watson over Josh Allen, yes, I don't know if wants to argue that. We'll give the Texans wide receivers the edge, especially if Fuller plays and you know Hopkins consensus top talent. We'll give them those two position groups. Other than that, I think the Bills are better at everything. I want to focus one more time on the Texans offense though, because this year Nuke Hopkins kind of morphed into Michael Thomas in some ways. Like it was a lot of underneath stuff. Quickly, an injury note. Right before we record this podcast, Bill O'Brien said that Will Fuller is a game-time decision. Mm -hmm. So, again, that leaves us zero clarity. They do get J.J. Watt back defensively, coming back from that pectoral injury where he missed, I think, at least half the season. Um, But we know that DeAndre Hopkins, almost certainly, when he lines up on the outside, is going to go opposite Trey White. And Trey White's one of the best cornerbacks in all of the NFL. So, I mean, simply, though, if they do want to isolate DeAndre Hopkins. If they do want to scheme him open, they can just move him to the slot. Yep. And that, that that's something that you can do play in and play out if you want to. The question is, if they want to, and we talk about all year long when we talk about the Texans, that this team is so reliant on the big play. When they don't get it, those two or three big plays in the game, they lose. Well, I believe the Bills have only allowed one touchdown of completions of 15-plus yards this season. So this Bills defense, Stagel, is extremely sound, extremely well-coached, and they've been super consistent with even better personnel this year than they were last year. And four of their five losses, excluding that Week 17 game that backups ran, were by one score. Like, they've been competitive in basically every single game except for that blowout versus the Eagles that the Eagles somehow won 31-13. Beyond that, though, this is just a well-coached, very good team yeah. that, I, that, as Ian said, I also believe they're better in every aspect. And a slight changing of the guard we saw in Week 16, remember, Devin Singletary played all but two snaps. He overtook Frank Gore for a season-high 96% of their snaps from the backfield. And I think we get that immediately in this game. I actually don't think Frank Gore would come in hmm. on inside the 10. I think this is now Devin Singletary's backfield. Yeah, I mean, it might be Singletary, but the thing is, is Singletary Josh getting Allen's the ball inside the 10, yeah, or is he blocking right. for Josh Allen? The one hidden factor here that I think we could see, especially in DFS, make some noise, and you know, if you're into playoff fantasy, as I know Daigle's got a top, awesome top 50 column ever to check out, but Carlos Hyde, like, when they are in an okay game script, they try to feed him the ball 20-plus times a game, and we've seen when teams have success on this Bills defense, it's not battling Tredavious White, it's not battling Levi Walsh, it's run the ball at them. Nick Chubb, Adrian Peterson, Saquon Barkley all went over 100 yards. Jordan mm-hmm. Howard, Sony Michelle, Derrick Henry, Miles Sanders, mm-hmm. Zeke all had very efficient games. Like, it's not, they've consistently yielded a bunch on the ground. I mean, I think they're fifth in DVOA against the pass, 18th against the run. Now, the correlation between pass DVOA and overall DVOA is much stronger yes. than run DVOA. Like, we see the truly good defenses are good against the pass. Like, you can always add more defenders for the run. But just, I think there's a scenario where this game ends up flowing through Carlos Hyde, and they might need to do that if Fuller's out. That would surprise me if we think back of this game on Monday when we're going to review all these games, and we say the reason that the Texans won is because Carlos Hyde went over 125 It yards. wouldn't be shocking, though, because we know this is Carlos Hyde's backfield. Like Duke Johnson got nine touches against, as I turn my sound off on the pod. That's uh, a good sign. Duke Johnson got nine touches 
in week 17 with A.J. McCarron under center. They don't value Duke Johnson whatsoever. Shame. So this is going to be 20 carries Carlos Hyde if it's competitive game script. The question is if it's competitive game script. Bill O'Brien just constantly subtweeting Ian Harditz <laughs> over here. Um, we haven't spent any time really talking about this Buffalo Bills offense. Hopefully this makes sense. They're like consistently inconsistent, but it works because that's just who they like. They know their identity. They know who they are and how they win games. And so much of that is lately in the last six weeks, Devin Singletary has averaged 19 and a half touches per game of those final six games and 92 yards total. But you have Josh Allen, who for entire quarters can look like he shouldn't be running an NFL team at times. You know, they don't consistently get first downs. They don't consistently hit chunk, hit chunk yardage in, in ways that other quarterbacks do across the league. But because of how consistent this defense is, it seems like with Brian Dayball, John Brown, Cole Beasley, and Josh Allen and company, they know that if they put together one or two or three drives across a game, they can, they can win those contests. Yeah. And so much of it is not necessarily through the air because we know how bad Josh Allen is efficiently throwing the football down the field consistently. But so much of it is just him running the ball and creating nothing or something out of nothing because he's a pedal to the four player and he just thrives in chaos. Yeah, and it's a good point bringing up uh, Allen's downfield consistency because I think we think of this guy, he can throw the ball over mountains. I mean, limitless arm strength, but the only quarterbacks that have averaged fewer yards per attempt on deep ball attempts are Dwayne Haskins, Kyle Allen, and Mason Rudolph. Like, awful list to be involved with. But he does take those chances. He can run. Defenses have to guard every inch of the field when Josh Allen's at quarterback, for better or for worse. And like you said, he makes a few Mm. plays a game. And it's going to come down to, can they hold this Houston offense in check? Because I don't think they're going to win a shootout with Houston. But if they can, you know, limit Watson, Fuller's not in there, I think Buffalo can run away with this game. The X factor is J.J. Watt as well, who was first in pressures before injury. Uh, How many snaps he's going to play, though, we don't know. And how healthy he'll be two months into a torn peck two months after a torn pack, when that's usually a three- to four-month recovery time table. It sounds painful. Yeah. I, I use some negative words when talking about Josh Allen. I feel like I need to, like, restate this every time we do discuss him. Um, I really enjoy watching him. I mean, he's an entertaining player. It's a roller coaster. I mean, th- this speaks to it, okay? Josh Allen accounted for 85% of Buffalo Bills' offensive touchdowns this season. That's the highest for of any quarterback in the league, the highest rate. So they live and die by him. They win and lose by him. You know, if, if he has bad games like he has against the Patriots at times this season, um, other top defenses, then they're going to lose. But this Texans defense, even if J.J. Watt comes back, nothing to fear nothing. at all. Nothing. And so it would not be totally surprising, even on the road, if this ends up being one of Josh Allen's breakout performances, his best performances of the season. Um, he's the only quarterback, I think, this year that has started eight or more games to not throw for over 300 yards in a contest, I, I'm relying, and this is dangerous, I'm banking on Josh Allen playing really good football this weekend on Saturday. Yeah, like we're not, he has a high ceiling, has a low floor. I mean, he, this is what he's shown us over yeah. these two seasons. We said on the podcast like a m- month ago that he's, when he's on, like he's a good enough quarterback to lead a team to the Super Bowl. Yeah. Joe Flacco did it. Josh Allen can do that if he's on. The question is, will he be on? Rumor has it we also have to pick these Well, let's games. do that. We can do the total. We can do... The under, we can do 
team totals. We can do the spread. I'll start with points because okay. uh, Five Dimes initially opened this at three and a half. The Bills getting three and a half within two minutes. Not kidding. Uh, pounded down to three, has since dropped to two and a half, and that's right. rightfully so. The only credit the Texans deserve in this game is home field advantage. And what is home field advantage at NRG Stadium? Like, what, what does it even matter? So uh, Shots fired. I'm you can the, say that it's a Texan. I'm taking the points. I'm taking the money line, which I have already. I got Bills at three, personally. So uh, I like the Bills a lot in this game. I was about to say, I don't even... Yeah, you don't... Take your points. You can, the take, money you can take the odds in the money. I like that. And that means just the whole team's going to let us down. Yep. Quickly, yep. just want to shout out Brian Dayball. Yep. Brian Dayball, as an offensive coordinator, has really, like, since that second half of last season when Josh Allen returned from injury, Dayball has created the identity of this team around him offensively, for better or for worse. And we see so many offensive coordinators get frustrated with their quarterbacks that aren't perfect across the league. It doesn't seem like Dayball is ever like that with Allen. And I think that that speaks to a major credit of his. All right, let's move on. Next game on Saturday is the Tennessee Titans traveling to the New England Patriots. A total of 43.5 in this game. The Patriots are 4.5-point favorites. Um, Ian, we know that the Patriots are coming off that awful loss in Week 17 to the Miami Dolphins. Thus, because of that loss, they are playing this weekend and don't have a bye into Round 2. That's major. That's a significant change in the mindset of a team. Um, you also have the Titans that since Mark, since Marcus Mario was benched, Ryan Tannehill came in, have been one of the best offenses in the NFL, yet they're only expected to get 19 and a half points in this game. So here's my thing with this matchup. I, the Titans, if they play as well as they've been playing mm-hmm. once Tannehill came under center, they can absolutely win this game. And we have not seen this Patriots offense really take a step all season towards becoming even an above average unit. I mean, they've been average to bad pretty much the whole year. I just think this is where this magical season that Tano has, it would make all the sense in the world if mm. in Foxborough, in the playoffs, is where it stops. Patriots defense, I know we've seen you know, Watson, Mahomes, some of these Lamar Jackson, some of the truly great quarterbacks in the league have given them some fits. I'm just a little hesitant in thinking that Tannehill is going to walk in and do that. You, sent out a good st- uh, you tweeted out a good stat earlier, Josh, how A.J. Brown, Derrick Henry, um, Jonah Smith are all top two at their position in yards after the catch. Some of that scheme, some of that's those guys just being beasts and incredibly hard to tackle. Now they got Patriots defense that I believe is top three and you know fewest missed tackles on the season. You know Belichick, oh he takes away the opponent's number one weapon. We've heard that year and year, year and year out. If that holds true and Derrick Henry's not a factor, Tannehill's gonna have to win this game against one of the league's best secondaries, hmm. and I'm not so sure he can do it. Wow. I would not have expected watching the Patriots team in the second half of the season because we know they beat up on cupcakes Mm -hmm. the first, what, eight or so weeks, first ten or so weeks, for you to have this much confidence in this Patriots team. Yeah, it's just I I have a hard time seeing the Titans move the ball, and I think the Patriots can find their way into the end zone a couple times. So, Daigle. The Patriots here have an expected point total of 24, okay? I mean, it depends on where you look, but that, that's what I pulled up, okay? So here are the point totals for the Patriots since their first game of November. 20, 17, 13, 22, 16, 34, 24, 24. Only one of those games of their last eight have they scored more than 24 points. So how much confidence do you have in this Patriots offense? And your answer should be none. I, I actually have quite a bit of confidence in what is going on and the passing <laughs> offense and this one particular game. This this one. I game feel like only. we all have completely flipped roles because eight weeks ago I was it's the one man. saying the Patriots going to get it right. They're going to fix this. This happens to them all season long. Tom Brady's not playing that bad. Uh, people are saying. Yet I'm sitting here, the one that is pessimistic about this Patriots team. I, I just don't think this Titan secondary, which is 
their weakest part of their team by far. And yes, Dory Jackson's coming back for them, but I don't think they've been tested at all since Tannehill's been under center, really. Uh, Drew Brees came closest, and that was an outdoors game, but even Drew Brees was efficient outdoors for 267 yards and three touchdowns because they got ahead and they needed to throw, yes. But that was a really good performance for Drew Brees outdoors on the road. Uh, it's Tom Brady. I understand. We've mentioned his yards per tenth. We've mentioned everything here. The Patriots offense has struggled. I think getting and Kill Harry involved more, uh, I expect him to play a season-high rate in snaps and, and routes run. I, maybe even play sure. over Sanu. Sure, but, like, Rex H- Harry can play. More. Harry can play. Sanu can play. But right now they're not playing well. I, and that's important. Like, Harry's not playing well at all. And neither is Sanu. After that deal for a second round pick. He's been abysmal he's been outside like that he's first game. I know. He's been so terrible. it doesn't matter if these guys are playing more, if they can try to do more or whatever. The point is, no one on this Patriots offense is playing good football. Basically, no one. I know. Other than Julian Edelman, who's been injured. No, that's why it's tough to say. But I, I still, dude, I, so Edelman on Thursday, when, when I start getting argumentative, that's when I usually use the word dude. It's like, okay, let's break this down slowly for everyone when I say dude. Edelman on Thursday at least said that he's coming back to, he- he's slowly getting healthier. Uh, and yes, we've seen him struggle the past three weeks because he's Understatement. Been obviously banged up, like obviously injured, multiple injuries, but still getting Burkhead back involved in the passing game. Uh, I really like Brady. I really like. I know I really like Brady in this game. There's almost like no reason for it, but I swear to you, I like the Patriots' offense in this game. I don't like. And what's funny is I don't really like Michelle that much. Like Michelle's still going to get you know 18 to 22 carries, but I can't trust him against the Titans' front seven. Man, I can trust Brady. I really believe that. All right, I have something different to talk about than the Patriots' offense, and that's how they're going to approach AJ Brown and yes, these guys. Let's I, talk about this. I don't think Gilmore shadows Brown. I think, and look, this is what I'm basing it on. <laughs> Josh looked at me like I was freaking crazy. This, um, this game's getting wild. I know. Freaking Twilight Zone in here right Look, now. Look, when the Patriots play the Chiefs, they respect Sammy Watkins. I know a lot of people that play fantasy football do not. They do. When the Patriots have played the Chiefs, they put Gilmore on Watkins with no safety help, and they've bracketed Tyreek Hill with a cornerback and safety help over the top every time. I think that's what they do here with A.J. Brown. Give him the Tyreek Hill treatment. Obviously, Brown's a more explosive player. After the catch, guy again in the ground. Two defenders on him, and then one on um, Corey Davis, who I know everyone that plays fantasy football is also laughing at the Patriots would care that much about Corey Davis, who has absolutely killed the Patriots the last two times they played. Corey Davis, three touchdowns on a 100-yard game. Last time they played in the playoffs, he found the end zone twice. So I think you know they do respect both these wide receivers. There's really no one else in the offense for them to worry about too much other than Jonu and obviously Derrick Henry in the run game. That's a whole separate issue. So uh, can Brown overcome it? We'll see. Patriots defense really was historic this year. They allowed the fewest points in a season since the 2008 Steelers. Um, Again, though, I think not padded necessarily is the right word, but that was helped so much by their schedule into week eight, into week 10. Um, Just this Titans offense since week seven on, it's been incredible. They scored a touchdown on basically 36% of their possessions, which trailed only the Ravens over that span. Credit to Rich Rebar for that stat. You, you talk about how taking away a weapon is a cliche and, you know, how this Titans team might have Ryan Tannehill and, you know, we have seasons of Ryan Tannehill and not just, you know, the small sample size from week seven on. But what the Titans do have are these individual playmakers. We mentioned Jonu Smith, who's second among tight ends in yards after the catch. Which Belichick talked up. Who yes. Belichick talked up because he respects him, yes. A.J. Brown, second among all wide receivers in yards after the catch. Derrick Henry second among all running backs in yards after contact. Mm-hmm. So 
while scheming players open, and credit to Arthur Brown, who you know got some slack early in the season. Well, that was Marcus Mariota's fault. Now that Ryan Tannehill is in the fold, he's been a great play caller. Um, credit to him to be able to create separation. But Tannehill's also hitting covered receivers. And you have these playmakers who, after the catch and after contact, are creating yards on their own. It's a recipe for success right now. I don't want this Titans train to end. It's too enjoyable. It's too entertaining. It's fun. I'm glad they got into the postseason over some of the other options we had. And unless, unless we see, one, a totally new Patriots offense, which I think we would have seen that in Week 17 if we were going to see something different. Sure. Then... I don't know how this Patriots team scores 24 points in this game unless they get defensive touchdowns. How about this, though? Ryan Tannehill hasn't played a good defense yet. Okay. And he hasn't started a playoff game. and now a road playoff game as well. Like, look, they got shut out by the Broncos in Week 6. They played Chargers, Buccaneers, Panthers, Chiefs, Jaguars, Colts, Raiders, Texans twice, and Saints. I would say the Chiefs' pass defense is quite good. Okay, fine. But even the Chiefs and, like, Saints games, like, yeah, they kind of got into a little shootout happy thing. I'm... I'm not willing to believe yet. Hmm. I'm not going to crown Ryan Tannehill and put him among the league's top five quarterbacks. Like he's been playing as one, I think this is where, you know, train stops. The, so we know, just like the Bills game, the receivers, it's going to come down to them beating man coverage, as the Patriots will do. Uh, Tannehill, top five passer rating against the Blitz. The Patriots blitzed at a top six rate this year. Uh, having said that, as we know, it's still going to come down. You have to beat... Uh, Jonathan Jones, and you have to beat Stephon Gilmore. You have to beat everyone one-on-one. So the question is, can A.J. Brown do that? Can Corey Davis do that on the other side? Uh, and that's, that's the X factor here. So we're talking a lot about Ryan Tannehill, but Derrick Henry really is the one that can be a major difference maker yep. here. Do you, I mean, it, you guys kind of sound confident where the Patriots are going to keep him under 100 yards. Uh, the problem with Henry, like I just – so much of his game is built on these big plays. And the Patriots, you know, for better or worse, they do limit the big plays. They kind of force you, I think, for the most part, to drive down the field. and try. Like even It's not like the Ravens were just continuously just ripping off monster play after monster play. I mean, I just have a hard time believing the Titans can play at this elite level, play after mm. play after play. They live on big plays. And if you can kind of limit that, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I mean, Derrick Henry is just such a closer at that running back spot. Mm-hmm. When the Titans, and, and during his entire career, dating back to last year, when the Titans have like a two-score lead heading into the late third and fourth quarters, if you give him that cushion, he's just going to make defenders want to quit football. Like he just runs over them completely. And so, I mean, it is so obvious that this shouldn't be stated, but I'm going to say it anyways. If the Titans go up by 10 points, two scores, whatever, watch out because you're in their zone to win where Derrick Henry can just make you pay for it. The Patriots were leaky midseason against the run, but finished the year as the number six uh, rushing defense DVOA. It's not game script I'm projecting to where they can lean on Henry, though. Like, yes, they will get involved. Yes, he'll still probably have 18 carries. Uh, but I, I would still, if you told me to pick under, like I'm still going under 90 yards. Hmm. Uh, let's circle back to the spread. Again, four and a half from what I found. It sounds like both of you feel that the Patriots cover that. I'm more interested in the over-under. You you know, brought up a good point about the Patriots and their point totals. I'm seeing something where they're scoring the low 20s and the Titans are scoring less than that. So I think uh, I'm seeing it, you know, 44, 44 and a half. Un- until it gets like the 43, I think I'm pretty fine taking that under. I like the Patriots to cover. And if you want to get hot takey, since we've been reasonable Let's since this point, uh, I will say the Patriots score 31 points. I like the Patriots offense a lot this week. And okay. then I will just watch my mentions burn as they score 20. But 
I pinned them at 31. Let's move on to Sunday. The Minnesota Vikings travel to the New Orleans Saints. 49 total in this game. Saints at home. Correct me if I'm wrong, Daigle. Seven and a half point favorites. Was eight, now seven and a half, yes. In this contest. Um, Look, prior to the uh, last weekend, we talked about how the Saints, to me, were one of the best teams in the NFL. They really, I mean, if we think about it from the best teams, they should not be playing this weekend. And they're especially great when they are at home. Meanwhile, Daigle, the Vikings have sported a 1-4 and four record this season against playoff teams. There's a reason why this is the biggest spread of the weekend. Kirk Cousins has struggled against divisional foes and in prime time in particular this year. But really, it's this offense has sort of struggled without Dalvin Cook healthy since week 11. But now it looks like we're going to get Dalvin Cook back at full strength, as he told media. Alexander Madison looks like he's going to be ready to go behind him. So it's just a question of, it really comes down to, as you mentioned, can the Vikings move the ball now at full strength? And does that include Adam Thielen at full strength? Because we haven't really seen Adam Thielen be the same player he was right. pretty much since the second time he re-aggravated his injury. Yeah, I guess it's a mismatch. I mean, just looking at it from offense versus defense. Breeze at home against this cornerback group, which might be you know one of the worst just positional units in the entire playoffs at this point. I mean, they've been rotating Mike Hughes, Mackenzie Alexander. They've been trying to find an answer this entire second half of the season and just can't do it. Don't see any reason why they should be able to guard Michael Thomas. And then no. this Saints offensive line, like, I know we give all the credit to Breeze and Michael Thomas and these guys, but good God, man. Like, last four years they've been top five in adjusted liners per rush, adjusted sack rate. I know a lot of that's the scheme and everything, but at the very least we can call this offensive line one of the best units in the league, and they have been for quite some time. So I think they're going to be able to run the ball. You go on the Vikings, Vikings offense. Uh, Carlos Hyde had like 85 yards in week one against this uh, Saints defense. No one has surpassed that. Like, no one's gotten 100 yards. We've seen Zeke and guys like that just get stuffed. And then will the Vikings throw the ball um, enough to take advantage of a banged-up Saints secondary? I don't know. Stephon Diggs is probably going to get that Marshawn Lattimore treatment, and we'll see how healthy Adam Thielen is. There's just so many more questions on the Vikings side of the ball, I think, in the sense. Yeah, the Saints just dealt with injuries extremely well this season, mm-hmm. and they had a lot of them along that offensive line. Andrews, Pete missed time. I believe Larry Warford missed a little bit of time. Lattimore missed a game. Teron Armstead missed some time. Um, they're getting healthier at the right time um, among that offensive line, and it's pivotal. I mean, I've talked about it a lot with the Rams the past couple seasons, and then this year, because that offensive line declined, the whole system declined. Well, we haven't really seen that Saints blocking, running, passing decline at all. And that was so important when they went undefeated without Drew Brees. I mean, they went undefeated (laughs) without a Hall of Fame quarterback in 2019. It's pretty crazy. It's incredible. And I know that he got some hate in previous years, and I understand the hate because, you know, when you're inside the 10-yard line, why do you want to take the ball out of Drew Brees' hands and put it into Taysom Hill's hands? Well, they're doing less of that. They're doing less of Taysom Hill at quarterback and more of Taysom Hill as, like, this offensive weapon. Yeah. As a wide receiver, as a ball carrier, as all these fun, you know, gadget tricks. And Sean Payton has been outstanding in that area. And Taysom Hill is a legitimate NFL player in that role and is giving defensive fits in that area. And it's just so much more that teams now have to get. Like, no other team has a Taysom Hill that opponents have to game plan for. It's, you know, we saw uh, Harbaugh and the Ravens do that fake punt in Week 17. Just so that's another thing that opponents have to now plan for down the road. I mean, I think Sean Payton just doesn't get enough credit for these small things that, hey, even if Hill only does play 10 snaps a game, which usually is even more than that, 
that's still like the amount of time it takes them to do that just pales in comparison to what it's, defenses have to try to do. It's a long list of players, but Taysom Hill tied for fifth in the league and receiving touchdowns with six. Like, oh just imagine God. that. And there are a lot of extra factors that take the Saints over the top this year compared to last year. I mean, we just talked about Taysom Hill. Jared Cook has been balling out this year. Jared Cook is what this team needs in that down the middle of the field, down the seam, in their intermediate and downfield portions of the field. And that little extra layer that he brings to the offense, because we know what to expect from Michael Thomas, Mm -hmm. right? Everything is kind of within 10 or 15 yards of the line of scrimmage. He's not going to beat you vertically, really. Um, And then I think, I mean, Mark Ingram is balling out for the Baltimore Ravens. But Latavius Murray is not far behind in his play. And Latavius Murray, when, you know, Alvin Kamara wasn't scoring in touchdowns, Latavius Murray was really helping out this season. I do have a little questions, though, about the Saints defense. Because, look, if Minnesota comes back healthy, and that's been an issue these past few weeks. Right. Like, Dalvin Cook missed the last two games, basically. And we never like to play skill position players coming off multiple missed injuries or yep. weeks because of injury. Same thing with Adam Thielen. But if both of those guys come back and play at the top of their game, I mean, the Saints lost Marcus Davenport. They lost Sheldon Rankins. They've lost a couple other pieces throughout the season. I don't know how many X factors they have defensively now than they had maybe halfway through the season. That's the key here for the Vikings offense because they established the run the first month of the season. We know. We didn't think they'd back down. But the fact is, Stefanski actually was just establishing it to later establish play action for the rest of the year. Only three teams ran play action rate higher than the Vikings did this year, the Ravens, Rams, and Niners. The New Orleans has actually allowed eight yards per attempt or eight yards per play from play action, and they only saw the fourth lowest rate. So they haven't even faced it, and yet they were allowing eight yards per attempt against a team that we know is going to lean on it. Like, there's room for explosive plays here, and that's what the Vikings will need. I think the key, if the Vikings are going to pull an upset here, they got pressure, Breeze. And, you know, I I hate using these like, oh, if you got pressure quarterback, every quarterback is worse under pressure. Like, I understand that. But, like, that has been the strength in this Vikings defense. Because, again, the cornerback group has been awful. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the only guy with more pressures this season than Daniel Hunter is Zadarius Smith. Uh, Cameron Jordan's number three on that list. Everson Griffin isn't far behind them. Like, these defensive ends in Minnesota, like, really don't get much praise, I think, around the league. But even not just this year, last few years in general, like, they've just been pl- both playing at a very high level. I think it's pretty easy to see, even though that some people, rightfully so, question Drew Brees' downfield arm if we see a big play either from Ted Ginn or Traquan Smith in this game. And I want to shout out the Saints front office, by the way. They only had five draft picks this past April. Um, Eric McCoy, who's been their starting center, been fantastic, was their first pick. And that was in the middle of round two, 48 overall. They got Chauncey Gardner-Johnson with pick 105. And he's been a difference maker defensively for them, kind of like a Swiss Army knife safety slot corner. Uh, But then they got Shai Tuttle as an undrafted free agent. He's been this rotational piece that comes in the interior of that defensive line. So only having five draft picks and basically having three performers playing at a high level immediately speaks to how great evaluating the Saints team has been as of late. And remember, they added Janoris Jenkins before this playoff push as well. And Jenkins didn't get released from the Giants for performance reasons. Uh, He was PFS number three corner at the time he got released. Now they add him opposite Lattimore, who hasn't allowed a receiving touchdown in coverage since week two. Like, that's a sneaky secondary. I think we're all leaning towards the Saints here, but seven and a half is quite a lot of points. I was about to say, and, like, I'm even seeing out of eight some spots, I... Why is That's it a that lot. big? Two scores? Or, uh, it's not. It's one score, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. 
It's 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 I tough. Think, I think I take the Vikings points there. I I yeah, the Saints should obviously be favored, but I think just eight's too many. It's really close, uh, and I know some like some big betting syndicates in Vegas are actually going to take the points. Uh, hmm. I'm trying to think if it's going to move to seven. I don't think it will. I'm taking the points as well, but it's it's barely. It's so close. It is a stay away. I, I, yeah, I'm not personally investing anything on that line. Do you notice that we've done three games and I haven't made a pick yet? That's how you host. Oh, uh, okay. Letting me, let, letting us get yelled at the entire time. Let's close it out with the last game of the weekend. That's the Seattle Seahawks traveling to Philadelphia to face the Eagles. 45 and a half total. Um, with the Seahawks, what I found, Daigle, always correct me. You, you never shy away from correcting me, but definitely doing this. Well, yeah, that's a, people are proud of our pod because we will yell at each other. Uh, the Seahawks are one-and-a-half-point favorites here. Um, these two teams are, I think, the only ones this weekend that played each other in the regular season. Seattle traveled to Philadelphia in Week 12. They beat the Eagles 17-9. to um, I did my homework. I went back and watched that game. Good I wish I hadn't. It was a big waste of time. Oh, that game was terrible. Was I remember awful. it. Yeah, It was super windy. Uh, Carson Wentz was misfiring on checkdowns yep. early in the game. He fumbled in the first quarter. He threw a pick in the second quarter. He fumbled again in the third quarter. Then Dallas Goddard fumbled in the fourth quarter. I mean, it was super sloppy. That was also the game when Chris Carson like lost his brain. And Rashad Penny was the one who came out and scored all those points, including that long touchdown run. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot has changed, kind of. The Eagles are still sloppy offensively. It's still a mess, confusing at times. But now for the Seahawks, Daigle, they don't have Rashad Penny. They don't have Chris Carson. Now they have Travis Homer, Robert Turbin, and Marshawn, La- Marshawn Lynch uh, at the running back spot. Do you think it will go any differently than it did in Week 12? The Eagles' strength is pressure, but it's going to come down to if Pete Carroll allows Russell Wilson to throw the ball. Because if the- he does, there should be nothing that stops this offense, honestly. Uh, Dak had so many opportunities to attack this defense, and that was when he was ex- dealing extremely, like it was still hurting that AC joint, and he just missed Michael Gallup deep. He missed Tavon Austin wide open. Daniel Jones came back the following week and went over 300 yards against them um, in Week 17. Russ like should have an immaculate game here. It's just a matter of whether or not they allow him to throw. And with Marshawn Lynch and Travis Homer, I would think, hopefully, they still allow him to throw. The Eagles' defense has not been bad in the second half of the season. They've allowed 17 or fewer points in seven of their last nine games. The problem is a lot of that success came when they finally got healthy. Their starting two cornerbacks were out for the first part of the season. Well, look, here we are, and the same thing's happening again. Sidney Jones is on the injury report. Avante Maddox, Jalen Mills, Ronald Darby's already on the IR. I mean, they're already like an iffy. Iffy's probably a compliment when Mm. they're healthy. And when you take away the health part, Mm. it becomes a train wreck. The problem is... You got issues on the offensive side of the ball for the Eagles, too. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the injuries don't stop there. Brandon Brooks won't be at this game, Alshon Jeffrey, obviously, and then all of Zach Ertz, Lane Johnson, Miles Sanders are all questionable for this contest. We've already talked about this Eagles team, how they lack playmakers because of injury. They banked on Deshaun Jackson so much that he had one game this season. Fantastic, just one game. So recently, it's been the Carson Wentz show. Uh, he's attempted at least 40 passes in each of the past seven games. And for many of those games, many of those contests, they were ugly, it was broken, but he willed them over the line and to the finish line because of these just beautiful throws that a lot of the quarterbacks in the league can't make. But Daigle, is it possible, because we're here in the playoffs, and it's not Mm -hmm. like Seattle's been convincing at all this season, uh, especially in the second half, but is it to the point where the Eagles are just too banged up to even compete in this game? 
for me, nothing has changed as long as Miles Sanders is on the field. And we don't know. Through Thursday, he hasn't practiced at all. Right. It's not looking good. Uh, he does have until Sunday night to get healthy. But if they lose Miles Sanders, that's just that's someone who, as we know, to start the year behind Jordan Howard, was limited in the passing game but still explosive. But since week 12, he's averaged five targets per game because he's an integral part of this offense. If they are down to literally just Boston Scott and then Jordan Howard, who only got one snap last week uh, – you can't trust that offense. Like Greg Ward is doing the best he can for what for the car for the hand he's been dealt. He is doing just fine for this offense. But when you're down to Greg Ward, Boston Scott, Jordan Howard, uh, Josh Perkins, and Dallas Goddard, what can you really expect? Like at that point, it's just cutting ties. And he's like, okay, this is done. And that's the problem. I mean, Wentz has played very nice in spurts. He's with, played well. Yeah. With that said, I mean, you look at, they put up points against the Giants, the Redskins, and the Dolphins. Other than that, they haven't cleared 24 points since Week 8. I mean, I just think it's partially a little bit. This week, NFC, schedule, NFC schedule has helped Wentz uh, play a little bit. And it's not an indictment on Wentz. We just listed all these injuries they're dealing with. I don't even know if we mm. mentioned Deshaun Jackson. Like, just, you know, the things that he did for that offense in one week were evident. I mean, just, they need a field stretcher so bad. They, and they barely even have a confident wide receiver to line up there. So... Bunch of questions there. They, they crave explosion, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and even the players who are probably, and this isn't, you know, a complete diss on them, but probably fringe NFL talents and Greg Ward and someone like Boston Scott, whenever they get the ball in their hands, they are the most explosive player on the team. Miles Sanders, obviously, too. Yeah. But Boston Scott handled a career-high 23 touches last week for 138 yards and scored all three of their touchdowns. Yeah. It's, it's insane what they're doing. And... Like, they deserve credit because they, they've bucked this entire injury report list and, like, they're doing something with their offense. It's just, when does this end? And I would imagine it ends in the playoffs but, when you can't be... But are, is Seattle individually talented enough? You know, so, like, Jadavion Clowney has missed some time, right? Right. They've got good linebackers and Bobby Wagner and K.J. Wright and Michael Kendricks. You know, Shaquille Griffin is a solid corner. Quandre Diggs when he came in. But they've been injured, too. Mm-hmm. And, like, they don't have... Among like the pass rushers up front that can consistently be there, play in and play out, series in and series out. So it could be a situation where Carson Wentz is able to sit back there despite all of these issues and have players run around for three, three and a half seconds. And no matter what the talent level is for your wide receivers in that area, as long as they catch the football, they'll probably catch some passes. It's just Every, everything on the Philly offense has been hard all season. All season. Finally, they got in some run game explosiveness with Scott and Sanders last few weeks, but they're 23rd in explosive pass play rate. I mean, that's easily the lowest mark among the remaining teams in the playoffs. You know, it's you want to create big plays, and they haven't been able to do it. it. I mean, it got so bad that last week, Josh Perkins for Zach Ertz, who's also coming in this one banged up, doesn't look like he'll play. Uh, he played 58 snaps. They had to play him 33 snaps in the slot or out wide as yeah. a receiver because that that's what they're down to. They don't have a choice. What is going on with J.J. Ortega-Whiteside? Like, maybe he's just not. I guess. Like, is that the. Maybe he's just not it. Like, I don't want to write someone's career off. It's his rookie off. year. Yeah, yeah. He was so talented year. in the preseason, too. Yeah. It's just, it's having a tough he's, time. No, he's been very bad. Yeah, but, it's just shocking. I, yeah, yeah it's he's been very bad. Someone that, you know, thrived on contested catches, looked great. He's literally just pre-season. not out there. Like, yeah. he's out there, but he's just running Can't sprints. Trust him. Yeah. Josh, Can't trust him. Josh Perkins worked ahead of him last week. Yeah, like, Josh it's, Perkins. It's yeah. bonkers. To circle back here, Daigle, you opened this conversation by mentioning that Pete Carroll probably doesn't want to put on the pass protection of, of his offensive line mm-hmm. and asking Russell Wilson to throw the football. Well, I mean, that's always been his mindset, basically. Hey, we want to build this offense around the running game. 
And look, yeah, Chris Carson had some trouble this year with fumbles, but he's a super talented running back. He creates yards on his own. He breaks tackles. And I mentioned when they, these two teams played in Week 12, Rashad Penny had a fantastic game, created yards on his own. We go back and watch this previous weekend against the San Francisco 49ers. And, yes, they were like a half yard away from winning that game. But you had Travis Homer out there, and he looked like easily the best back yeah. on the Seattle team. In fact, when Marshawn Lynch was in there, it was kind of like fan servicey. It was like Chewbacca getting a medal at the end of a movie. I was, you know, it was fan service. I, I was going to say the same thing. Like, it, I love the Marshawn Lynch story. I think it's awesome. I think it happened at a time the team needed that energy. Having said that, he looked like a guy who was chugging beer in the Oakland parking lot a week before because that's what he was doing. Right. Like, he looked sloppy and slow. Travis Homer was explosive coming out of the draft. Travis Homer looked explosive in that game and, more importantly, ran 30 routes, handled every single running back target because they need him doing that. And he's now a part of the offense, and I expect him to be involved this week. The, look, pro- the, the problem is, real quick, we just can't assume that they're going to throw the ball because look what happened no, last exactly, year. No, exactly. No, I don't think there's a way to project it. Like we can't even say that. Like the Cowboys game last year was ridiculous. Russell Wilson was doing whatever he wanted when he over ten yards in attempt, the yeah. and they ran themselves out of the playoffs. The so, and we talked about heading into the weekend where San Francisco Kyle Shanahan is just this genius play caller that he can create separation and manufacture touches for anyone. Right. I'm not going to say that right now Doug Peterson is that. You know, I think this team has really missed people like Flip who leave and go mm-hmm. to other coaching opportunities. You know, it, it just hasn't worked. And the, the, the playmakers are because of that for a reason. But Seattle has good pass catchers. You know, Jacob Hollister is a solid pass catching tight end. Um, you have DK Metcalf, who's a freak athlete, sometimes glued to the left side. Mm-hmm. But he has progressed at times this year. Maybe that development has stopped right now during his rookie year. That's fine. You also have Tyler Lockett in the slot. And there have been stretches where neither of those players get four or five targets. That's concerning. You should be able to, as a professional, get paid offensive coordinator to manufacture touches for your playmakers whenever you want to. And it seems like Seattle is unable to do that, unable to do that whenever they want to. That's why the Titans have been so fun to watch. Like, yeah. Can't get AJ Brown the ball, put him at running back. Like the fact, what, what the thing that had us so excited about Tyler Lockett this year was we already knew he had the downfield stuff. We knew he could make the most out of limited opportunities. And it was like, okay, now he's our slot receiver. Why should he not get peppered with eight, 10 targets per game? He was, for the most part, in the first two months of the season, but particularly once he got the, you know, once he got sick and injured and came back, it's just this whole offense has kind of been a dis- disjointed mess. We, I mean, we talk about the Niners being run first, but the Niners do it intelligently. Uh, Seattle has the second highest run rate in neutral gain script when they're within one score because that's just what they that's do. That's their identity. And it, it's not as it's efficient either. They just, that's what they do and that's what they're going to do. I, you know, we're through 17 weeks, 16 games. I feel like for the other six teams playing this weekend, I know who they are. I still have zero read on either of these teams heading to the weekend. I have zero confidence in predicting what any of them could do. It could be this weekend. Like, I, I still think no matter what, I will side with Russell Wilson throwing to Tyler Lockett and throwing to DK Metcalf if everything goes poorly. But do I – can I easily see – Carson Wentz, this defensive line at home, shutting down a Seattle Seahawks offense for two or three quarters? Yes, I could see that as well. Uh, That's why I still lean the Seahawks. Okay. And despite the injuries, I still think – I don't respect – and this could be wrong – I still don't personally respect Seahawks defense. Uh, And I know they're getting healthier, but I don't think there's enough – 
there to be concerned about. Jadevian Clowney coming in, and if Lane Johnson's out, that is worrisome for sure. Mm. But I still like the Seahawks to put up points and win this match matchup handily. If the Eagles just had like two or three even of these guys that are just key contributors banged up, if they were in, maybe. But yeah, give me Russell Wilson. Imagine if they lose Sanders. Like, Sanders so important, yeah. man. Uh, before we leave, um, I did not prepare you all for this. Oh, God. So I'm going to put you in a difficult spot. Great. Um, Look, we still should mention the four teams that are not playing this weekend. I don't want you to go and break down each one, but I'm going to list them. I just want you to rank them with the level of confidence you have for the playoffs. Does that make sense? Yeah. More time. Missed it. Green Bay Packers, San Francisco 49ers, Kansas City Chiefs, Baltimore Ravens. How would you rank them from one to four, the four teams that have a bye? I got this. I go Chiefs, Ravens, 49ers, Packers. You think the Kansas City Chiefs are the most lost. difficult team a lot, a, of the playoffs? A lot of people I've heard have that opinion wow. as well. I think lost in the entire Lamar Jackson hoopla is a fact. This Chiefs defense is legit. Yeah. And they have been for the last yep. month and a half. And we're, we've barely seen Mahomes with all their weapons. But, you know, we know what he can do. We know what that offense can do. So, yeah. I thought I was going to go out and let them put them third. But putting them first is... Another They're still level. second to me. It's very boring because um, I had to think about this for to project games played for the top 50, playoff-only top 50, and uh, I came to the conclusion that whoever wins the Green Bay-San Francisco Conference Championship, in my mind, yeah. that is... That, that obviously will represent the NFC. Like, I think Green Bay is an underrated team. I'm still putting them four, but I think the edge between them and San Francisco yeah. is much closer. And that obviously leaves out the Saints because Correct. I'm putting the Ravens then the Chiefs one and two. Hmm. And it's not enough respect to the Saints probably. I, I, I put it Ravens, 49ers, Chiefs, Packers. Oh, so you're leaving the Saints out as well. Yeah, but I yeah. would put the Saints over the Packers if I had five teams. Oh, yeah, you're only talking, yeah. What, what are the 49ers doing great lately? Because their defense has been super Their rush defense the is worrisome. Well, that's what we're going to talk about next week. You know, that's why these people can all return. What's the next what, what week? What a lead up. <laughs> we will be reviewing all these games from this beautiful weekend of football on Monday. So be on the lookout for that episode. Um, and then we'll do this all over again next Wednesday, next Thursday. Preview the second round. Review, recap pod, and then matchup nice? pod. Just talk about four games. And teams that matter. Or teams not that 16. matter. Yeah. Good teams. Well, some of them. Most of them. Good hopefully. teams. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. Um, once again, if you do enjoy the podcast, just you know, leave us a ring review. Helps us out, helps us reach a new audience. We'll talk to you all soon. See you, everyone. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.